0: This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. Romans chapter 8. 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Just find your place there hold it for a moment. Now scientists agree that there are many laws and principles which govern this natural world that we live in. Laws of physics, laws of gravity, biological laws, botanical laws, anatomical laws and even atomic laws and biochemical laws. There's just so many things. Some of these laws apply to certain aspects of our lives, but not others. Uh, some of these are peculiar to one thing, but they don't influence anything else. However, there is one natural law, one principle, that so far as we know, it affects everything in the universe, whether animate or inanimate, whether animal, vegetable, or mineral. And this law is called the second law thermodynamics, second law of thermodynamics. This law states that through the passage of time, a closed system, a system that is closed from any outside interference, will always tend towards disorder. In all highly organized systems, the tendency is always that disorder increases as time passes. To put that in simple terms, in other words, everything that is left to itself will eventually wear out, wind down, and break down, no matter what it is. Iron rusts, wood rots, flowers fade, bodies die and decompose, buildings fall down, order becomes disorder. That which is complex becomes chaotic. As far as we know, there is no exception to this law. It works everywhere at all times, everywhere in this universe. Stars burn out. Now, all this is a problem, by the way, for evolutionists. Now, this natural law has got a spiritual counterpart, and it's found in Romans 8 and 2, and it's simply called the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. The origins of this law is found in Genesis 2 and 3. The Garden of Eden was a beautiful place, perfect in every way. Perfect climate, perfect earth, perfect people, perfect place to meet with God, their creator. So it was perfect in every way until Satan and sin came in. And once Satan and sin came in, then that perfect order was broken. And once Adam fell, this law of sin and death became a reality. God promised Adam In the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Although he didn't die physically for hundreds of years, but he died spiritually, and the physical death was the outcome of the spiritual death. The law of sin and death became a reality. And this first family was infected by this terrible, poisonous spiritual virus if we could put it that way the law of sin and death and all of a sudden there was mortality and sorrow and tears and murder and lies and hate and disorder and disharmony all of that began to come into Adam's family and through that into Adam's race and the law of sin and death has wracked havoc in this world ever since Think of death and disease and disorder and war and genocide and ethnic cleansing and crime and cruelty and brutality and abortion and divorce and the abuse of kids and on and on it goes. All of that. You can lay at the door of this spiritual law, the law of sin and death. It's all pervasive. It affects every race, every country, every continent, every nation, every people. It is all invasive. It works inside every human being on the face of the earth. It's destructive. It brings rack and ruin. It actually brought a curse on the land. God said the earth is cursed for your sake and for the rest of your life you'll have to work it by the sweat of your brow and it'll bring up briars and thistles. But not only that, eventually on the heels of it had to come in the curse of the law and separation from God which is the worst thing at all. Governments can't cure it they can only enact laws that would try to somehow deal with the effects of it, although sadly, many times our governments enact laws that make it worse rather than better. There is no antidote to this second law of thermodynamics. There's no antidote to that natural law. But thank God there is an antidote to this spiritual law of sin and death. It is also found in Romans 8 and 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so you as a believer tonight, you have another law. The law of The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is a life law, not a death law. It is a faith law, not a fear law. It is a love law, not a hate law. It's a righteousness law, not a condemnation law. It's a hope law, not a despair law. It's a success law, not a failure law. It's the entire opposite to the law of sin and death. And this law of life and death, this law of life in Christ Jesus can only be found in the Lord. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's why we can say, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The Apostle Paul, in fact, we should look at that just very, very quickly. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 50 Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And then he says, the sting of death is sin. You imagine death like a scorpion with a sting in its tail. And it stings man by sin and it stings them to death until the death penalty is paid. The wages of sin is death. And it stings us and stings us and stings us and stings us until we eventually die. That's what it does. But Paul says, at the last trumpet, we shall be changed. And this... Corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying death is swallowed up in victory and so there will come a day when that final last thing is dealt with death and all of its horrors will be gone forever glory to God And we can say truly that death has lost its sting and the grave has been robbed of its victory. This life can only be found in Christ Jesus. In him was life and the life was the light of man. John 1 and 4. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill and destroy, but I am come that you may have life, that you might have it in abundance, John 10 and 10. I am the way, the truth and the life, Jesus said he that has the Son is life. He that has not the Son has not life. John said, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, Paul said. And Jesus himself said in John 17 and 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there is a spiritual law in this world, the law of sin and death, that affects every human being. But thank God there's a greater law. And that greater law is working on us tonight. The law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's the law that has changed our lives how do you recognize when this law of life in Christ is operating in you? Well, first of all, you will overcome the world. John said in his first epistle, chapter five, verse four, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. We cannot overcome the world except we are born of God, it is impossible for us to overcome this world. That law of sin and death, it's impossible for us to overcome that, except we have the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 7, which we're not going to read, but if you read that, you'd find in that particular chapter that the Apostle Paul is dealing with this whole business of struggling against sin. And he talks about, for instance, that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and how that reveals to us what really sin is. So if we do something that goes against God's commandments, we are immediately struck by the fact that that's wrong. Thou shalt not. And so we're convicted, or our conscience is pricked, and we know that's wrong. So God gave us that law to show us our sinfulness. Not that that law is going to save us because we can't keep it. And that's the curse of the law, the fact that we can't keep that law. And so he goes on, he talks about that. But then he also says in verse 23, but I see another law on my members warning against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death. So leaving aside the law of God, those 10 commandments that points out our sin, leaving that aside, he says, I see another law on me. And he's referring to this law of sin and death. And he says, it makes me wretched. And it is a wretched thing. You know what it happens to us? The things that we want to do, we don't do. And the things we don't want to do, we do do, he says. And in that particular chapter, if you count it then, I, me, my is mentioned 48 times in that one chapter. So you see, there's a struggle with self when it comes to sin. There's always a struggle with self when it comes to sin. But when he goes into chapter 8, the picture completely changes. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he mentioned the Holy Spirit 19 times in chapter 8. And he talks about the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what he says in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, let me give you an illustration that John Phillips gives. And I think it's a good illustration. Here's a coin. And if I throw that coin up, it'll fall. Because the law of gravity will pull it down. And there's nothing that that coin can do. It cannot overcome that law of gravity by itself. It's subject to it. It'll fall every single time. how many times I throw it up, it'll just simply come down again. Because that's that law of gravity that pulls that down. But if I do that this time and catch it at the second attempt, I have superseded that law of gravity. And I have caught that coin and I can lift that up And in a way, in a way, that is like sin. We are pulled down by it. That law of sin and death pulls us down every time. And by ourselves, we do not have the power to stop it. We are subject to it. But Christ comes in and he grabs us and he lifts us up above it. He supersedes that law. Of course, that coin is an animate object. Hasn't got a will. So that's as far as that illustration can go. We have a will. And we can live in disobedience. And we can miss the blessing of God. But as long as we're willing to be held by Christ and he grabs us, he can hold us up. Jude 24 says he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father. So here we have the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus that helps us overcome the law of sin and death that works in this world so we can overcome the world. 1 John 5 and 4, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And so no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what temptations come our way, there's another law working in us. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that can help us overcome that. Amen? So how do you recognize the law of life in Christ Jesus operating you? You overcome the world. You've got a power to overcome sin. Secondly, you have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. And before Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, he speaks about the works of the flesh. And if you care to look at the comparison, in verse 19 of Galatians 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And so this is when this, <laughs> this other law is working. Listen to this. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the last time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. Glory to God. What a difference between those two. Whenever the law of the life of Christ Jesus is working in your life, you will have the fruit of the Spirit First 1 Peter 1, verse 23, Peter says that the seed of the incorruptible Word of God is in us. And in John 3, it says we are born again of the Spirit. So the moment you are born again, you have been seeded with the Word of God, the incorruptible Word of God, and the Spirit Now, what happens to seed? It produces something, doesn't it? It makes something grow. It produces fruit. The spirit and the word working in your life will produce good fruit. If the spirit's in your life and the word of God's in your life, there's nothing sure you will have good fruit in your life. That's a natural law as well as a spiritual law, isn't it? If you sow potatoes, you're going to reap potatoes. If you plant an apple tree, you're going to get apples from the apple tree, aren't you? Because everything, according to Genesis, everything, every seed, produces after its kind. And so when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have the seed of the incorruptible Word of God in you, then you will bear good fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit will become evident in your life. And you will know that you have the fruit of the Spirit. It will be seen, not just by yourself, but it will be seen by others. So you overcome the world, you have the fruit of the Spirit, you start to walk by faith and not by sight. Now that's good, isn't it? i tell you why that's good, because every time you switch on the news, and I switch on the news a lot, my wife doesn't, but I do. And every time I switch on the news, If I was not walking by faith, if I was only walking by sight, it would be depressing. It would be fearful at times. If that's all you saw and that's all you believed, if you weren't walking by faith and know that God sees the big picture, and if you didn't read the end of the book and know that we win in Christ, you would be fearful of what's coming into this world but we're not walking by sight, we're walking by faith. And it's okay to see those things, and it's okay to be informed. Jesus said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. But not to worry about that, he says. Don't let that get to you, because you're walking by faith, not by sight. What is our faith built on? It's built in the Word of God. So we know the Word of God. And we know that God's got everything under his control. And we know that Jesus is coming back soon. And we look around and see what's happening in the nations. And that continually reveals to us that God's word is true. That the things he promised and prophesied are coming to pass. So we're walking by faith, not by sight. If we only walk by sight, let me tell you, pull the blinds down, you wouldn't want to go out the door tomorrow. But we walk by faith. And we've got a worldview that's based not on the world's view, but on God's view. That's our worldview, God's view, because we're walking by faith, not by sight. Amen. And then you walk in love. If the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus is in your life, you will walk in love. First John chapter three. And verse 4 if I can just verse 14 if I can just read this to you verse 14 we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren he who, do, he who does not love his brother abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now there's various words that are used in the New Testament uh, to describe love. The Greeks had a number of words which they used. One of them is eros, which you'll not find in the New Testament. And the reason why you won't find it even though it was widely used by the Greeks, and remember the Greek, the Greek culture was big in Paul's day. But the reason why none of the New Testament writers ever ever used this word when it came to writing about love, is because it's a sensual, fleshly love, a selfish love that only wants its way. And it's a physical, sensual love that only demands and wants its way. And so that's why none of the New Testament writers ever used that word. They did not think it worthy to use it when it comes to talking about the love of God or us loving one another. So they used other words. Stergos is another word they used. And let me show you how Paul uses this. Because actually he he uses it in the negative rather than the positive. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul's talking about in the last days, perilous times will come, and he mentions for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and then he says in verse three, unloving, and he lists a lot more, unloving. The King James says without natural affection. Now the word that Paul uses in the original is where, comf, is what's derived from that is this word stergos. And this word stergos is used particularly within a family situation. Where in a family you love one another. And isn't it interesting that Paul says in the last days that the opposite of that will happen. Will be without natural Family affection. Isn't it true today that marriage is under the greatest attack that we've ever had? Isn't it? Even to the point where governments are trying to change the very definition of it. Do you think that's going to help the nation? I don't think so. Do you think that's going to help marriage? I don't think so. And it'll have the opposite effect. Paul says, without natural affection. But the opposite, of course, is that. Is that we would have natural affection. That we would love our families. That we would love our children, our wives, our husbands, our families. And of course, the other word is phileo. And phileo means... It's a fondness. It's a love that appreciates. Remember Peter used that three times when Jesus three times because he denied him three times Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? And he couldn't bring himself to fully commit because he'd done that before and he'd so let Jesus down. Well, who am I to say that I unconditionally love you? So he says, you know that I'm very fond of you. You know that I'm very affectionate about you. That's the best he could say. Because he was humbled to the dust. And that's where we get the word Philadelphia from, brotherly love, along with lots of other words. But of course the greatest word is agape, or agape, whoever you want to pronounce that. And that's the love of God. That is the unconditional love of God. That is the greatest and the deepest love that there is. That's the love with which God loves us. And that's the love that he puts in us. That he expects to see from us. Because that comes with this law of the spirit of life. Which is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus loved us, didn't he? Right to the end. (laughs) He loved us unconditionally to the point where he went to the very cross to die for us. And so this law of life, which is in Christ Jesus, changes us completely and totally. Now, that doesn't mean to say that that law of sin and death doesn't still operate, for it does. But thank God we can overcome that by the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Gravity still works, even though we can reach out and stop it at that moment. But it still works, doesn't it? You stand on that chair and just jump off it, you see how it works. The law of sin and death still works. But the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, is a greater law. It's a better law. It supersedes every other law. And absolutely changes our lives. And that's the law that helps us live as believers in this world. That gives us the power to overcome. Because we don't have that power to overcome. We don't have the power to overcome sin. But that law gives us the power. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, even though tonight that we have talked about this law, but we don't want to reduce you to laws and principles. You are the living Lord. And you are the King of kings and Lord of all lords. But we know that in you, we have power. In you, there are laws that work through you in us to give us the strength to overcome this world that we live in. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for imparting to us your life in us. We bless you for that. We thank you for your grace that we daily live with. Lord, we cannot live without your grace on a daily basis. And we thank you for your faith that you give us so that we do not walk by sight. And we bless you for your great love. Lord, help all of these things to be operating in our lives so, Lord, that we become more effective and more genuine and that people may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we give you thanks for this tonight. We bless you for who you are. And we thank you for imparting this life to each and every one of us tonight in this room. Thank you for every born-again believer born of your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira